I should like to call your attention this morning uh, to be found in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24. Verses 22, 23, and 24 in the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old men, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new men, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, I read those uh, three verses, uh, not because we can hope to deal with them this morning, but because, as I want to try to show you, it is always essential that they should be taken together and as a complete whole. The apostle here in these verses is reminding these Ephesian Christians of what it was they had learned in Christ Jesus. You see how he moves on logically. He first of all reminds them of the kind of life they used to live. And then he says, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught in the truth as it is in Jesus. Well, very well then, he says, what is it you have been taught? It's unthinkable that you should go on like that. To learn Christ is uh, to learn that you don't go on living like that any longer. But again, lest there might be any uncertainty about this or any failure on their part to understand it truly, he comes down to the practical level and reminds them of what the truth is in Jesus, which they have already heard and learned and have been taught in Christ Jesus. And here he tells them what that is. Now these three verses are indeed most important verses. Important I mean in this sense. They have an unusual importance in a theological sense. And particularly with regard to the doctrine of sanctification. They are crucial verses with regard to a true understanding of the New Testament teaching on that all-important matter of holiness and of sanctification. Therefore, I say we cannot pay too close or careful attention to them were it merely for that reason. But, of course, in addition, and in some ways even more important, they are of great importance to us from the practical standpoint. The Apostle, as always, combines his doctrine and his practice he, unlike many of his followers, is never guilty of that false division. The two always go together. If I may put it in a phrase, far too often, as I was suggesting last Sunday morning at the beginning, the Christian church today gives the impression that she's some kind of departmental store with a whole series of departments with a very loose connection between them. The church was never meant to be like that. The church is one. And there are certain things which must never be divided. Doctrine and practice, justification and sanctification, these things all go together. Evangelism and building up all go together. It's all in terms of the truth. And here once more we find a wonderful illustration of that. Well now I say that this statement must be taken as a whole because it is a whole. And yet we see that the whole is divided into parts. 
There are two parts here connected by a kind of connecting link. The first part is negative, the second part is positive. Here it is. In verse 22 we have our negative. You put off concerning the former conversation the old men. Then the connecting link is that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that brings you to the positive. That you put on the new men which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. There is his scheme as it were. And again it has all the characteristics that we have learned to look for in anything that is written by this particular writer. He presents his truth in the form of two striking contrasts. But as I say, he connects them together with this connecting link. And he clearly puts them in this form of, of contrast in order once more to emphasize the truth that he's concerned about here, namely that it is unthinkable that any Christian person should go on living as once he did. So again, he just reminds us of what that was and tells us to put it off. And then he shows us his positive on the other hand. Now there are a whole series of very remarkable uh, contrasts here in these two verses, 22 and 24. You have, for instance, the old men and the new men. The old men is going to destruction. The new men is created, created anew. Exact opposite. The old is rotting under the power of lust. The new is increasing under the power of God. The old is controlled by deceit. The new is controlled by truth. In other words, his contrasts, are absolute contrasts. And that is what he's concerned to do, I say. To show that the two things are so essentially and entirely different that no Christian man who really has learned Christ can ever dream or think of continuing in that old way and on that old level. Now, that is the New Testament way of teaching holiness. It's simply asking us to be logical, to realize what we have believed and therefore to put it into practice. It's a great appeal to reason and understanding and logic. Learned Christ, heard him, taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. That's its methodology. And any other presentation of sanctification and of holiness is not New Testament, it's not scriptural. It savors more of the psychological. Well now then, as we come to look at this uh, great statement, there are one or two general points which it seems to me must be dealt with first of all. I come back again to this statement that these two things must always be taken together. In other words, the apostle doesn't just give us the negative and leave it at that. He doesn't merely tell us to put off the old men and then stop. No. That's only part of an action. It's only half of an action. There is the other side, that, and it must always go together. We must put on as well. You put off and put on. You don't remain naked. There's no sort of uh, wasteland in between. There's no kind of neutral position in between. The two things must always be done together. And there's a very good reason for this. That is precisely the difference 
between Christianity and uh, morality. Morality is entirely negative. It stops with a negative. Morality tells us, put off the old men. You don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do the other. And then it fin it's finished. That's morality. It's always negative. It's only put off the old. But that is never Christianity. And our Lord himself once and forever has made this thing perfectly plain and clear. You remember what he says in the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke about the evil spirit that is driven out of the house by the man. But then because the man has merely driven out the evil spirit in a negative manner and hasn't welcomed in a positive spirit, the Holy Spirit, his house is there, cleansed and swept and garnished. Oh yes, but the evil spirit that has gone out he goes round and looks for some friends and he comes back again with others much worse than himself. And the last state of that man, says our Lord, is worse than the first. Now, there it is, I say, once and forever. There is nothing from the spiritual and Christian standpoint which is more dangerous than merely putting off the old men, cleansing your house, weeping out the rubbish, as it were. Ah, yes, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't come in, the last state, he says, is going to be worse than the first. Now, to me, this is one of the most important things, historically speaking, that we can ever grasp. I'm one of those who holds the view that the real damage was done somewhere towards the end of last century when the Christian church began to form organizations to deal with particular sins. She dropped unconsciously from the spiritual to the moral level. And of course they've been quite useless. Now it's no part of my business to, to denounce these things, but I'm just asking you to look at the facts. In spite of our, our having special organizations with regard to the keeping of the Sabbath and with regard to temperance and gambling and many, many other matters, and they've been excellent people and they worked very hard, but what have they really achieved? I think the present facts show that they've achieved very little, and I'm not surprised. That's not the way to deal with those things. The way to deal with those things is to have your positive truth and gospel. It's what happened in the 18th century. And I sometimes think that the high road to revival is just to realize that the sooner the better we forget the 19th century and go back to the 18th. When you had your positive preaching of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, that dealt with these other problems. Inevitably, it always does. Now then, that's the sort of point that emerges here. You don't merely put off the old and stop at that. No, it's a combined action. You put off the old, you put on the new. You don't remain, I say, in this kind of neutral, naked condition for a second. The two things must always be taken uh, together. And yet, we do realize that they've got to be considered separately in order that we may have a full understanding of them. But though we consider them separately, that does not mean that we make isolated and discreet actions of them, as if to say to a man, well now then, for the time being, just put off the old. And then later on, perhaps, we will take you to a meeting or to a convention where you can put on the new. Never. Never. 
These things must never be divided. We take them, we consider them separately, from, for, for, merely for the sake of convenience and understanding. But we must never divide them in that utter absolute sense in our thought. Well, very well, there's my first general comment, but here is the second one. The putting off and the putting on, according to the way in which the Apostle has written here, are to be actions once and forever. But the connecting link, the renewing in the spirit of the mind, is continuous. Now, this isn't my point, it's the Apostle's. He, our translation, unfortunately, doesn't bring it out quite as clearly as it should. That he put off concerning the former conversation the old men. Now, that's, he put that in a tense, the aorist, which means a once and for all action. You put off once and forever that old man, he says, and you put on once and forever this new man. Yes, but you go on being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a continuous action. It's in the continuous present. That never stops. The renewing of the mind is a continuous process. Must be ever going on and increasing, but the others, once and forever, as I'm hoping to show you as we proceed. But it is a rather important point in the understanding of this doctrine of sanctification. Very well, then. Having looked at those preliminaries, what is the apostle saying? Well, here it is. He says, now, with regard to that uh, old life of yours, let nobody be tripped by the word translated conversation here. Conversation in the authorized version always means conduct and behavior, mode or manner of living. You've got other illustrations of it. The apostle in writing to the Philippians says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, he didn't mean what you and I mean by conversation today. He wasn't confining it to speech. No, no, that's the whole of the life. Conversation. He again says to the Philippians, our conversation, he says, is in heaven, which means our citizenship. So he means here by the former conversation, that old way of life, which he has been depicting in verses 17 to 19. And this is now how he puts it. I am therefore saying, he says, that you, what, what you've learned in Christ is this, that as regards that old life which you once lived, you put off once and forever the old man. Very well. What does this mean exactly? We must start by looking at our terms. Put off, he says. Put on. This is clearly a figure. And it's an obvious figure. It's the figure of putting off a garment. You take off a gown. You put it on one side. Put off. Put off your gown. Or you put on your gown. Let's give a full weight to it. It means uh, to remove from us, to renounce, to forsake. Here again, you see, he chooses uh, this particular analogy in order to give us the sense of the finality of the action. You can't half take off your gown. You either take it off or you put it on. It mustn't be half on, half off. No, no, it's something that you put one side. There it is. You're finished with it. You throw it away as... 
or you take it and you put it on. It's a strong term and a graphic term, and it was precisely what the apostle wanted at this stage. It conveys this full idea, I say, of forsaking and renouncing, laying it aside, not using it anymore. Very well, there's the first term, but come to the second. What are we to put off? And here we come to one of these important theological terms. Put off, he says, as concerning the former conversation, the old man. Now, that's a, a kind of technical term that he uses, and a very important one. You'll find it in the epistles of this apostle constantly. And therefore it's a term that we really must grasp. What does it mean? Well, by men, of course, he means the personality. The totality of the personality. That's the man. So what he means here is the unregenerate person that we once were that was dominated by a depraved nature. Now, to help us, he puts in the word old, the old man. Surely none of us are in difficulties about these terms. We talk about our better self and so on. There's a kind of division of ourselves. Well, in the same way, uh, he uses this term man to represent the personality. But he calls it the old man. Why, why old? Undoubtedly here there are a number of things. One is that he's contrasting something that used to be true of them but is no longer true. He says the former conversation. And uh, that is old because it belonged to the former way of life and no longer belongs uh, so that uh, you talk about uh, putting away an old suit and uh, having a new one. Well, it's, it's relative to start with. It's what they once were, former. But there's more than that in it, I think. I think that he means here by the old men. Old in the sense of what the Bible means by original sin. Because the old men that is in us is very old indeed. He's as old as Adam. And therefore the old men really must be thought of as the men that we all were by our birth and as the result of our descent from Adam and all that we have inherited from Adam as the result of the fall. So that there is a sense in which the old man is the same in every single one of us. That nature that we uh, have inherited and that we all have by our birth, we are all aware of this, we are all born with a corrupted nature, with a defiled nature, with a polluted nature. Surely nobody wants to dispute that. There is nothing so obvious as the fact of the universality of sin. Everybody sins. And everybody sins as soon as he's capable of taking any decision for himself. The smallest child sins immediately. It likes doing what you tell it not to do. It likes doing what isn't good for it to do. 
That is sin. That is a part of original sin. That is a manifestation of this pollution in the nature. This depravity. This defilement. That has been in human nature. Ever since the fall of Adam. We see, I say, the universality of it today. You read your Bible and you'll find it everywhere there. It comes out from the very beginning. That's why Genesis is such an important book. Well, I mustn't stay with these things. Those who attend on Friday nights will understand uh, exactly what I'm trying to say. We've there been dealing with the fifth chapter of the Epistle to the Romans recently and are still dealing with it about uh, our being in Adam and then our being in Christ. That's the classical passage in all this. So I, I leave it. But to just remind you that that is what it does represent here. The old man is what we all are by birth and by nature. Fallen, polluted, depraved, corrupted, sinful, with a bias against God and towards evil. That is true of all by nature. It's universal. Now then, says the apostle, I'm telling you to put off that old man. Put him off. Well, that leads to the next question. Why are we to put him off? In dealing later on with how we are to put him off, I shall expound the theological meaning of the term the old man perhaps a little bit further. I leave it at that for this morning. But come to this other question. Why are we to do this? Why should we put off the old man? Now here again there is a preliminary point. That seems to me to be of very great interest indeed. People are often stumbled at this. And they feel that there's almost an inconsistency in the teaching of the apostle. And this is where the difficulty arises. Now they say here he is in Ephesians 4, 22. Telling us to put off the old men. Whereas in Romans 6, verse 6, he said this. He says there that the old men, have knowing that our old men is crucified with Christ. They say, how do you explain that? In Romans 6, 6, he says that we know that our old men was or has been crucified with Christ. His argument in Romans 6 is that the old man was crucified with Christ and he died with Christ. He keeps on saying it. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. Your old man has died with Christ. And yet they say here he is in Ephesians 4.22 telling us to put off the old man. How can you put off the old man if the old man is already dead? Now then, there is an apparent difficulty, but really it's no difficulty at all if you take the teaching as it is plain in and of itself. What it means is this. Romans 6.6 6 states something which is a fact. It is a, a description of what is true of us in our relationship to God. Every one of us, as I say, is born a child of Adam. Every one of us is born in Adam, we belong to Adam, and we suffer all the consequences of Adam's fall. 
Very well. But it is true to say of the Christian that the man that he was in Adam is dead and has gone forever. If a man is in Christ, he is no longer in Adam. And as a Christian, I say that the man that I was in Adam has gone forever. God doesn't recognize him. I have been pronounced justified freely by God's grace in Jesus Christ. God no longer looks upon me as a man in Adam because I am a man in Christ. So it's perfectly right to say that the old man was crucified and has died with Christ. That is an absolute statement of fact. Well, very well then you say, if that is true, how can he hear exhort us to put off the old man to which the answer is this that it is because the old man is dead that I am to put him off the only man who can put off the old man is the man in whose case the old man is dead what do I mean well I mean this that though in my relationship to God it is true to say that my old man is dead nevertheless from the experimental standpoint because of habits and practices and lack of knowledge and of understanding many of the characteristics of the old man still cling to me as the new man so the apostle can say to me, now because your old man is dead, we'll have nothing to do with him. Don't go on doing some of the things that he used to do, being that he is dead. That's the argument. So it is perfectly consistent. The old man must always be thought of, as I say, in terms of our position, our relationship to God. We all start as in Adam. Then if we become Christian and born again, we are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are no longer in Adam. It's either one or the other. And the fact that you're in Christ means that you're dead to that Adamic nature, dead to sin, dead to the law, dead to any possibility of condemnation. You are this new man in Christ. Now then, says the apostle, it is because the old man has been crucified that you really must give up any of the habits or practices that characterized that old man. If you like, you can put it in a phrase. I'm very fond of thinking of it like this myself and of putting it like this. What the apostle is really telling us here is that we ought to be what we are. Does that make sense to you? Be what you are. Realize what you are and be that. I wonder whether an illustration will help you. It seems that after the American Civil War and the liberation of uh, some of the slaves in the South, that some of the poor slaves, very naturally, kept on forgetting that they were now free men. And they went on living and behaving exactly as if they were still slaves. The same servile spirit was there, the same fear was there. Now, actually, there was a promulgation which stated that they were no longer slaves, that they were free. There is the thing positionally. 
There is the thing legally. That's justification. You see, they were no longer slaves. The slave that they once were was dead. The same man is still alive, but the slave that he once was has gone forever. That's dead. Yes, but the poor man out of habit and practice and custom still went on living as if he were still a slave. So the thing to say to him is this, put off the slavery. Put off the slave. You're no longer a slave. Be what you are. You're a free man. Live as a free man. Stop living as a slave. Stop behaving as a slave. You're free. Be what you are. Now that's exactly what the apostle is saying here. So you see, there is no contradiction between Romans 6, 6 and Ephesians 4, 22. It is because the old man has been crucified and died that we are exhorted to put him off. Never does the New Testament tell an unregenerate man to put off the old man. It would be monstrous. It would be illogical. The only man who is still to put off the old man is the man whose old man is already dead. But, you see, we've got to get rid of these memories and recollections and habits that belong to him and still tend to persist in us. I do trust this is being made plain and clear. I admit it is, in a sense, something difficult. If you want to know something still more difficult, go and read the seventh chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And there you'll find he seems to be talking about three people at the same time. He talks about uh, the old men and the new men and I myself. And it's quite right. It's perfectly right. It's perfectly right. I sometimes look at it like this. I venture to use this illustration. When a man becomes a Christian, he finds himself virtually like a man who's driving a pair of horses. He himself is the driver with the reins in his hand. There's the horse on the right. Here's the horse on the left. He's driving both those horses. The old men, the new men, I myself. And we operate together, and we are conscious of this. There is my own personality. And I am conscious of an old man that I once was. I am conscious of a new man that is in me. And yet I myself, as it were, am able to consider these two. There it is, I said. Well, carry that idea in your mind. And so the apostle says to me, put off that old man. Put off all that belonged to him. He's not really you any longer. So put off all that appertained to him. Then put on, he says, this new man. Very well, there's the one difficulty, but here is another. There are those who are in trouble because they say, if you go on to the epistle to the Colossians, and read in the third chapter, you will find this in verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old men with his deeds. Here he is saying that we have put off the old men with his deeds. And yet in Ephesians 4 he says, put off the old men with all his deeds and all that belong to him. Is this a contradiction? Well, once more it isn't, of course. Well, how do you explain it, says someone? How do you reconcile it? Well, like this. Though I say that this action of putting off the old men is a once and for all action, it doesn't mean that you only do it once in your life and never have to do it again. The moment a man becomes a Christian, 
or becomes conscious of the fact that he's a Christian. He is putting off the old men. He is a man who says, well, now I'm a Christian and I realize that that involves certain things. So he obviously arrives at certain conclusions and at certain decisions. He says, now, because I'm a Christian, I no longer do certain things and I'm going to do other things. That is putting off the old men and putting on the new. Whenever, whenever, when any of these pagans in these early days of the church became converted and asked to be baptized, he was obviously putting off the old men and putting on the new. And that had happened to these Ephesians. They had done that. The profession they made in their baptism or in any other form of admission into the church was definitely putting off the old and putting on the new. Well, how does he tell them to go to do this again and to do it once and for all? Oh, well, the answer, you see, is what I've really just been saying. Though they there and then said, now I'm finishing with that life, I'm taking up this, as the years passed, perhaps, and temptations came and sin, they found themselves forgetting these things and unconsciously at first drifting back to that old kind of life. So the apostle comes to them and says, look here, where are you going? What are you doing? Don't you see that you are more or less where you used to be? Put it off! And put it off once and forever. So that though it is a kind of once and for all action, alas, unfortunately, in experience, we find that we have to do this many times. So there is no contradiction at all. What he's saying in Colossians is, look here, you're being inconsistent. You said that you were finishing with that, but I see that you're still carrying on with it. Put it off. So that there is no real contradiction even at this point. Each time it must be a complete and an entire action without any reservations whatsoever. Well, there then... We have looked at one reason for putting off the old men and putting on the new. We are to do so because of the new men that is in us, because of what has happened to us. Take, for instance, that great argument in the sixth of Romans, which is in a sense a kind of extended commentary on these verses that we are looking at. The apostle says, why, why, why don't you realize these things? Why don't you realize that you yourselves are now dead to all this? Therefore, he says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. He says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. He says, realize the truth about yourselves. Christ died to sin once and for all, and you were in him, and you've died, and you are therefore dead to sin. He says that... Put this logic into practice and into operation. Neither yield your, your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then you remember having gone on with his great argument, he says, I, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. That's his way of saying I'm now going to use an illustration in order to try and make it easy and plain and simple for you. He says, for as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. The whole time, the argument, I say, 
is just this, that because of what has taken place within us and has happened to us, we must now follow it out and renounce and finish with once and forever that old man and all his ways and all his habits and all his practices. We've got to realize the truth about ourselves in Christ Jesus. We've got to remind ourselves of what we've learned in him, that we have been taught, as we saw last Sunday, in him, that we really are members of his flesh and of his bones, that we are parts of his body, of his body and therefore, says the apostle, everything that belongs to that old must be renounced, must be forsaken, must be given up once and forever. Well, there I fear we must leave it this morning. I don't want to start on this next section because it's a picture which is complete in and of itself and it's important we should take it together as a whole. The apostle is going on to tell us that we must put off this old man everything that belongs to it because of its horrible, its terrible nature. That old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. However, the first thing we have to realize is the point that we've been making this morning which I must say again is what we are compelled to call a theological point. Need one apologize for theology? God forbid. It is a failure to understand these things that leads to so much trouble in practice. So I would put a question as I close. Do you know, do you realize that your old man has been crucified? Have you risen to the glorious realization that you are no longer a child of Adam, that you are no longer in Adam? Have you realized that the man that you were in Adam has been blotted out of God's sight to all eternity? That's the meaning of justification by faith. God makes the pronouncement in a forensic sense that we are just and righteous in his sight because we are in Christ. The man I was has gone, ceased to be. It's the most glorious thing a Christian can ever realize. He no longer thinks of himself as a man trying to make himself a Christian or hoping that he will be a Christian. No, no, this is God's action. It is God that takes us out of Adam. He puts us into Christ. And it's his judicial pronouncement. As slavery was abolished, and the slaves were declared to be free, so it has happened to every Christian. To all who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God pronounces them to be free from original sin, from all they've inherited in Adam, from all the sins they've ever committed themselves, that's gone. 
It's a legal pronouncement from the judge of the universe himself. The old Adamic man has ceased to be. The old man was crucified with Christ. He is dead. You're never called upon to crucify your old men. You're never told to try and kill the old men. God alone in Christ can do that. And he has done it. And we are the new men in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that I know of that is so strengthening to faith, so strengthening in the daily living of the Christian life, as to realize that the old man has gone forever. And it is because of that that I am to put away from me forever anything and everything that belonged to him or that in any way suggests him. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust audio library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.